Welcome back to the Cordell and Cordell and Men's Divorce Podcast. I'm Scott Trout, CEO and Managing Partner of Cordell and Cordell. And we continue twice each week to bring you this podcast for information with family law issues for guys before, during, and after divorce, and really all things regarding family law, which includes all kinds of issues across the spectrum. As always, we want to make sure you get in for a consultation with an attorney that practices exclusively in the area of family law like we do. Uh, this cannot be legal advice and no attorney-client relationship is established. It's just too much out there. In your case, the facts are specific, and we want to make sure that by doing a consult, you can get the best legal advice there, and this is not that type for it. So you can give us a call at 866-DADS-LAW or find us on the web at cordellcordell.com. Make sure to check out uh, our uh, Cordell Cordell because we have a virtual town hall coming up here in January where you can log in. It's free to register, but you just have to register. You can log in and ask questions live and get answers right then and right there. So check it out at cordellcordell.com with the virtual town hall coming up with a panel of Cordell and Cordell attorneys. So let's get right to it. We have Jonathan up in Birmingham, Alabama. Welcome, Jonathan. Hey, Scott. Thanks for having me. Yeah, good to see you. Let's talk about juvenile dependency hearings. That's a mouthful. As always, we try to break it down here on this podcast to make some of the legal words and the jargon that many people just throw around, make it easy, make it understandable. And, it, and unfortunately, it happens to a lot of people in family law. A lot of guys get faced with this. So what is a juvenile dependency hearing? So, I mean, the, the juvenile dependency hearing is a, it's a fairly large beast. There's a lot of moving parts that go into it. But, but generally, a dependency action or a juvenile dependency hearing can be prompted by a few different things. Essentially, what's being alleged in a juvenile dependency hearing is that a child is dependent. And um, Alabama defines dependency by statute. And uh, to the best of my knowledge, through some research, the other jurisdictions also define it um, by statute. And essentially dependency is just an assertion by either by the state or a third party that a parent or a legal guardian is unfit or unable to care for the children or a child um, or that a child doesn't have, uh, there is no legal guardian with whom that that child would be safe. Um, and, and so right. uh, a dependent child, if a, a child is alleged to be dependent, those are, that's what essentially a, a party is alleging. And I imagine similar, the, the, the reference to this department that would instigate or begin something that would cause this, and many guys around the country are familiar with, for example, in Missouri, it's called DFS, Department of Family Services, or DCFS over in Illinois, or DHR in, in Alabama. It's some social worker department or investigative department that is, I imagine, received word of some sort of uh, child being abused, in danger, something that triggers the beginning of an investigation, I imagine. Absolutely, yeah. So, you know, I've not practiced, you know, this is this is an area of the law that kind of runs up against our practice a little bit, you know, it's not necessarily divorce and custody issues. I mean, there's custody issues and roll, rolled in here, but um, I, uh, with my experience, I think that a, a, a large portion of these cases are started by DHR. When um, a third party concern calls up, you know, we call them Department of Human Resources in Alabama. Um, and when they call DHR up and say, hey, you know, I think that, you know, mom and dad or if they're using drugs or whatever, whatever concern might be, uh, might not be on their mind, DHR may go out and investigate, open up a, 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 a abuse or neglect case and make some determinations. And if they find, uh, you know, cause to think that the parents are unfit or the legal guardians are unfit, DHR can file a petition with the court and say, you know, judge that these children are, are, are dependent and, and we need to, uh, you know, we need to 
remove them from uh, parents' care, or we need to get parents in line and have them, you know, start going through some steps to, to, to bring them in line as fit guardians for the children. Um, there's another way that they can happen is grandparents can get involved as well. Right. Um, or uh, a third party bit besides the state. Um, I think it's more more often that DHR gets a call and then they get involved and start these proceedings typically. Right. You always have, you do, you have someone who would make an allegation that can file that dependency petition on, on you know, they're either unsafe or they need to be removed, which, you know, the, the interesting thing in my early in my career, actually over 28 years ago, I was dealing with the termination of parental rights instituted by the Department of Family Services. And, you know, they say that their goal is reunification. Uh, you know, it's you really rarely want, you know, I imagine DHR or DFS, DCFS ever to get involved in your case or even get a dependency petition. It becomes a nightmare. And uh, I imagine it can lead to an emergency removal of a child from your custody, right? Yeah, it absolutely can. Um, and yeah, I mean, whenever a client comes to me with a DHR issue, that's immediately typically one of my biggest concerns because, you know, DHR has quite a lot of the. Uh, uh, a wide breadth of, uh, I don't know, I guess, uh, latitude in their ability to kind of institu institute these proceedings and then get involved. And, and they have a lot of power um, and a lot of sway with the judge. And so, you know, it's often, you know, if I hear that DHR is involved, I want to know immediately that, like, my, these are, you know, these are the things that my client needs to, to be looking, uh, looking out for. And, um, and these are the things that I need to be, um, you know, gearing up for, uh, you know, just in case DHR is getting involved. If DHR has found that there are emergency situations um, or scenarios that the, the kids are in, that, you know, they're dependent and uh, DHR finds that they need to be immediately removed from the parents or legal guardians care, um, that's a pretty serious issue. And it's something that I think a lot of attorneys, you know, I had this issue come up recently and I didn't know, you know, a great deal about doing this type of practice. It's just not something that we do um, uh, day in and day out. Um, but there's quite a quick turnaround when there's an emergency situation. Mm -hmm. When DHR says, hey, there are emergent situations, Judge, these children are in imminent harm. They are dependent. We need to remove them from the house. The court at that point has to immediately set, uh, you know, uh, uh, based upon the, uh, you know, valid uh, dependency uh, petition, the court would take that in and then issue pickup orders, have those kids taken out of. Uh, the parents' care, the legal guardian's care, and they, in Alabama, you're required to have a 72-hour hearing to determine whether or not there's any kind of, you know, grounds as to whether or not the kid actually should be removed from the house. Yeah. Um, other jurisdictions, I know that there's 48-hour turnarounds. I think there's five and seven-day turnarounds for some of them, but anytime, I mean, it makes sense. Anytime there's, an, you know, the kids are emergently removed from parents' care, um, it makes sense that, you know, that they're getting into the courtroom quick and before a judge to kind of clear it up. Um, yeah, I think I think you're right. You know, when you said a moment ago that courts and judges give these social workers and departments a lot of weight, uh, you know, they're employees wow. of the state. And and my experience is the same with my termination case. They, it was a no contact termination for, you know, six months and which we knew was not true. And they made an allegation immediately that the mom had not uh, made any attempt to support or contact the child in over six months. We, and we had evidence to suggest otherwise, which, but we had to get to a hearing. And there is, as you suggest, that shelter hearing happens very rapidly and you need to be prepared. Uh, and so when, you know, if you're involved in that, that's such a key, there's such deadlines that you must follow. And especially yeah. dealing with these, you miss one, it can really substantially harm your case. And what is the evidentiary standard in some of these hearings? 
Well, so, uh, uh, you know, we're talking about the, the deadlines you have to meet. You also really, it, it's important to know in Alabama, the, the evidentiary standard in a, in a 72 hour hearing, uh, an emergency hearing, we'll call them shelter care hearings here. Um, the evidentiary standard is incredibly lax. And so hearsay comes in, um, basically anything relevant and anything material the judge is going to hear, um, the, the rules of evidence more or less fly out the window. And the thing about that is, is it can cause a bit of a problem, I would think, sometimes, depending on who you're representing. If you're representing mom or dad, um, you know, we're representing dads generally. So, um, you know, if you get into the courtroom or if you know you're going to a 72-hour hearing, it's important to have a conversation with your client, figure out every single thing that bad about your client, anything that if anybody can drag their name through the mud, if they're doing drugs, they're doing whatever, anything negative needs to come up before you get into before you get into the, the courtroom. Um, and you need to make a determination as to whether or not you want judge to hear your story without the restrictions of uh, evidentiary standards. Because if your client's going to get in there and they're going to shovel mud all over his name, sometimes it's it's a it's a valid uh, strategy to say, you know, to, to stipulate, okay, judge, you know, we don't want to have the shelter care hearing. We understand that there's been a, there's been a, uh, uh, an allegation made and we're going to, we're not going to contest it. We'd like to be set out for an adjudicatory hearing in the future. Um, and that's just a way to, to get in and not let the judge hear that your client may not be the, you know, prettiest in the room. <laughs> so yeah. to speak. Right. I mean, there are strategic things that you suggest to, to kind of prepare for that. And it may be in your best interest to not have that hearing. And typically when they take custody, they're looking for a parent or a relative. And so there may be instances, as you were mentioning that, I'm thinking, well, I recently had representing the dad, mom was uh, living with a guy that he was a convicted offender, offender of a sex offender. And so we had to remove the children. And they, you know, we went to immediate hearing to get placement in our house. And that we wanted that hearing and she didn't, and so we were able to get it. And, and I think it's important. To, but I think kind of the moral of the story here is when you're in either on the cusp of it, in the middle of it, get an attorney, figure out what the law provides, know what your rights are, put together a strategy quickly. You can't sit around and, and, and wait on it because that's the worst thing that can happen. And you're going to start losing rights and start losing ground, especially when you have a, a what I'll say, DFS, who does tend to have a lot of power and to make up some rules as they go along. Um, and, it, and it can be really damaging to you. It, yeah, absolutely. It, it definitely can. You want to get ahead of these. It's really important that, um, you know, we've had um, clients call in with custody issues and divorce issues and, and that, you know, skirt up against these DHR issues. And every time we hear them, you know, it's really important if you're dealing with DHR, really important or DFS or whatever your state's acronym is. And there's any there's there's any whisper of the fact that your children could be removed. Get an attorney. Yeah. Quickly. So when you get to the final hearing, uh, what do they call them in Alabama, and kind of you what's know, the standard practice? Yeah, in Alabama, they are called adjudicatory hearings. Um, standard practice is you know um, once a child once a petition is submitted to an intake officer in the juvenile court, the juvenile court is then going to um, set an adjudicatory, uh, an adjudicatory hearing, unless there were emergency issues, and that comes back to the shelter care that we were talking about. But if there are no emergency issues, then the court just sets an adjudicatory hearing. And typically, um, prior to that hearing, judges are going to, if D DHR or DFS is involved, um, issue some orders that say, you know, DHR, please go out to mom and dad's house or to mom's house or dad's house. 
look and see, you know, what's going on. Are there causes for concern? What, you know, why might these children be dependent? Um, what are their issues? Get us a report together. Pre, they're typically called pre-adjudicatory reports. Um, and, you know, DHR goes out and does that. And at that time, that's when you want to, you know, start preparing your clients for a trial, a hearing. Um, a hearing at which there's going to be at least a, in Alabama, there's going to be at least a few relaxed um, evidentiary standards as well, as far as what testimony and what third uh, out of court statements are going to be allowed from uh, the children themselves and from reports that DHR uh, prepares in interviewing those kids. Yeah, it seems uh, like, and I'm relating this. Uh, like to a criminal where you've got these preliminary hearings or reading of the indictments or whatever it may be, reading of the charges and you enter pleas, each one of them has importance. Uh, and you suggest you see often if you are familiar with criminal cases where they waive the reading, the formal reading of the charges or they waive a preliminary hearing. And that's all strategic because ultimately you're getting to the final hearing and perhaps you may need to where it disposes of it, and you get a chance at a final hearing in these matters in Alabama, don't you? Yeah, and then that's what the adjudicatory trial is for, typically. Um, the adjudicatory, all it is is, um, you know, the judge is, there's been a petition filed, a child may or may not be dependent, someone has done some kind of investigation, typically, and then we have, you have a hearing where, um, you know, the parties are going to be present, and you can present witnesses. It's just like any other trial, except, you know, your kids, and the custody of your kids typically hangs in the balance. Yeah. Um, once that pre once that adjudicatory trial has been has been completed, if there's clear and convincing evidence that the kids are uh, dependent, um, then there's a plan put in place typically to allow the parents to to maybe you know come back in line with what the court wants to see from from legal guardians. Um, uh, and it, it it kind of varies, you know, going on out from after uh, a child is found dependent. But if they're not found dependent, then that's the end of it. Yeah, and um, because if a child has a legal guardian or someone that can, you know, that can, is fit to take care of them, the child is not dependent. And you're in Alabama, you're completely out of the court anyway. The case yeah. is dismissed, and, and it's it's moved on. So, and as I was thinking, kind of when we back up to the very beginning, when we were talking about this, one of the words of, I mean, the caution is, and I always tell my clients, you got to be really careful the kind of cooperation you're giving without counsel. You know, again, anything you say can and will be used against you, even in these hearings. And you you may be being set up. Who knows? I, I just, you know, the thing is, if there's a sniff of any involvement of, of these uh, organizations, these, you know, departments and entities in your state, get in for a consult. Just figure out what you should do. Put together a strategy. Maybe it is. Yeah, full cooperation because we have nothing to lose here. We have nothing to hide. You get your attorney involved to make sure that we're, you know, gathering everything and they're following the rules and regulations that are set forth and out there. And that's so critically important in the beginning steps, not at the end. Yeah. And it's important to remember that, I mean, it's it's important to get an attorney because DHR doesn't, or, or DA, I don't know DFS, but in Alabama, DHR doesn't have any, any authority to do anything, require that the parents do anything without a court order. Mm -hmm. um, and typically, you know, they do want to overstep their bounds um, Well, or... Uh, what could be considered as overstepping their bounds in some cases. And um, it's important to have an attorney kind of run interference and they can help you figure out what DHR or DFS or whatever your state agency is called to, to help you figure out as a parent what you do need to be doing as far as you know what DHR is requesting. I would always suggest <laughs> counsel up and, and get yeah. prepared. This is an yeah. incredibly serious matter. 
Right. And I mean, anything relating to family law, you know, an hour of your time, whether it's this or any issue you may be having is well worth a consultation. And that's why I mentioned the very beginning, because, you know, each fact and not all dependency cases are alike. They may all have different twists and avenues, and you just need to have that consultation. You can do it just like this via Zoom, phone, in person, whatever's uh, available and comfortable for you. So, Jonathan, great stuff, great information for, for guys, and, and uh, just kind of cluing them in on the things, the action items they need to take. So, thanks for joining today. Thank you so much, Doug. Well, information just like this twice every week. If you haven't subscribed yet, you can do it in Apple iTunes. You can subscribe to the podcast. And you'll get alerted every time it's dropped. We're going to continue doing this twice every week moving forward, including our virtual town halls, which we hold every month, where we spend an hour together. So uh, unlike this, where we're, we're doing 15 minutes or so, you can go ahead and log in, log online, and get answers to your questions from a panel of Cordell and Cordell attorneys. The only way to do it is to go to CordellCordell.com and register, and it's free. And you can just do it, and uh, every month we're going to be doing that as well. So if you haven't followed us also on social media, you can check out our YouTube channel. We've got full of information there, podcasts, video, uh, virtual town halls all throughout. So until next time, have a great week.